shining a light on autism and life as an autistic person. Welcome to My Friend Autism, a podcast breaking down barriers, stigma and misconceptions around autism while increasing understanding and acceptance of the autistic community. And now, here's your neurodivergent host, Orion Kelly. Yes, I've I've been told that that's me, so I guess I should talk. Hi, I'm Orion Kelly, that autistic guy, and I'm all about helping you raise your level of understanding, acceptance, and appreciation of the autistic community. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, you've come to the right place. Welcome, my friend, to this amazing YouTube and podcast community. Now, today, you've decided to do one of two things or both. You've decided to watch a video podcast of mine on my dedicated, purpose-built video podcast YouTube channel, or you're, as you've always done, listening to another podcast of mine, wherever you get your podcasts, because frankly, looking at me is just a little bit too much for you today, and I totally respect that. I don't like looking at myself any day. Either way, welcome to my friend Autism. Now, employment is massive. Is there anything bigger for an adult? in quality of life than employment. And the reason why I say that is because, well, employment gives you not only money, which allows you to live, but it also can give you self-confidence. It can also give you a a type of interaction that you may require. It can give you challenges and purposes and reasons, things to keep you going. So it's important. It's, It's important. So what I want to talk about on this episode is the workplace, and I want to talk about some, some practical adjustments and inclusions that you can ask your employer, or if you're an employer listening, that you can implement today to help neurodivergent people in your workplace. All right. Now, let's, let's start off with where we're at. Diagnosed or undiagnosed, neurodivergent people, and this is just factual, struggle to find, perform in, and keep meaningful employment. The stats do not lie. It doesn't matter what country you're in, and I don't know all the stats, but no matter what country you're in, I'm, I'm pretty sure there will be some sort, of, some sort of statistical record that will state that autistic people, neurodivergent people, are disproportionately underemployed or just completely unemployed. My own personal experiences. All right, so as a late-diagnosed autistic person, so diagnosed in adulthood, the first portion of my professional career was undiagnosed. Now, we also know you're born autistic. It's not something you can acquire or catch later in life. You're either born autistic or you're not. It's just as simple as that. So undiagnosed as an autistic person, your life progressively snowballs in a bad way the longer you're undiagnosed. People ask me all the time, yeah, Ryan, but I'm in my 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Why do I need a diagnosis? What difference will it make? And I can't answer that question for you. What I can tell you is, well, at least you'll finally know why you are who you are. At least you'll finally know you're not bad or broken. You're different. You're autistic. You're neurodivergent. I don't care if you're on your deathbed 
I reckon that has a positive impact on your life. That's just me. So being undiagnosed in my early career, I worked for the most part in my career in media, in, in radio, commercial radio. So the radio that they pay you to be on, right? And it was like the best time of my life working because I was, do, I was getting paid to do what I love, being on the radio, which is basically entertaining people, in my opinion. So I'm not one of those kind of dudes you hear on radio these days. They have no personality and they basically talk in 10 seconds, you know, with music and ads and somehow they think that is going to keep people listening. Like, I don't, I don't understand that. Given what we have today, content on demand on 7,000 platforms, I find it ridiculous. I mean, you can, look, you can get the time and the weather and the traffic on your phone, on your watch, soon probably in your eye. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Anyway, so... I'm not trying to get on a rant about radio because I love radio, but honestly and truly, if the people that run the radio stations, who are the wrong people to run radio stations, old has-beens that literally think that radio can still be how it was in the 80s and 90s, it's utterly ridiculous. Okay, so let's, just, let's just tell the announcers to shut up and just keep playing the music and the ads. Yeah, that sounds like a great... I can do that. I think that's called Spotify. Oh, you want, let's just get them lots of music and, and, and as little ads as possible. I think that's called Apple Music. Uh, seriously. Anyway. <sighs> See, it's already gone off the rails. Employment is a big thing for me. So I struggled in, in workplaces. As in, I didn't struggle professionally. I was good at what I did. I mean, it took time, but I was good at what I did. Again, ratings don't lie. So people liked what I did. I had good feedback from the audience. The only people I really cared about. I didn't really care if bosses thought I was good or bad. In the end, if the audience thought I was good, that's all that mattered. In the end, it's what comes out of the speakers. That's a whole other, other question. All right. So it was the, the off-air stuff that I struggled with, the stuff that all autistic people struggle with in the workplace, in a neurotypical workplace with a HR department going through a one-dimensional funnel of neurotypical expectations. It's impossible for a neurodivergent mind to succeed. For me, of course, that would manifest in ways where people would think I wasn't uh, very good at working with other people, or I wasn't a team player, or I couldn't play well with others, or I wasn't able to communicate in a what they would class as a professional manner. Now, of course, we're not talking about me breaking the law or anything. We're just talking about me being different. So being undiagnosed, I'm, I'm devastated by that. Maybe if I was diagnosed, I could have asked for help, but you know what? Probably not. I mean, you know, we're talking about, you know, several years ago, and, and still now it's hard, so probably not. And that's okay. It's not their fault. That's just the system. So my experience was hard. I had no adjustments because I had no diagnosis. I was undiagnosed. I struggled every day. I struggled to maintain or make professional relationships. And by the way, people may think if they worked with me, oh, you know, oh, he was just rude or arrogant or standoffish or whatever. None of those things are me. Like, that's not, who, that's not how I am. Okay, so it may manifest, but that's not, why would I want to get up every day? You tell me a person who wants to wake up in the morning knowing all they're doing is going to work to offend and upset people so no one likes you. And every day is like living in hell. Do you think I'm a moron? What person would wake up in the morning with that to be their goal? Yet that's what you think. Oh, he's Orion. He just likes to come to work and be rude to people or aloof or arrogant or standoffish. Or he, he asks too much. He, he expects people to do great things. God help us. 
if we would have standards in life or hold people accountable. Anyway, so it's, it's just the most bizarre premise. But that's the reality. No, no adjustments because no diagnosis, right? But there's no, there's, no, um, there's no real difference in adjustments or not adjustments unless, of course, your employers buy into them, right? And like they're not ticker box token stuff. So there's a big difference between getting adjustments and having people buy into them to actually make the leap, the huge leap of faith that you aren't just a bad, rude person. You're actually an autistic person with a different brain who communicates differently because diagnostically you have challenges, challenges that are completely and utterly at a different level than a neurotypical person in communication and interaction. Oh, really? Wow. I can't don't understand how we could possibly come across different to other people and maybe too honest or brutal or rude or blunt. I don't know. How is that possible? <sighs> All right. By the way, I'm not going to go into like more recent experiences because I'm just like, I'm over it. I'm tired. And what's the point? People don't care about getting any better employers. But I mean, even, even recently, this, the same thing happens to me. Like people are happy to employ you as an autistic person for your strengths. But soon as you're too autistic, it's all over. Relationships sour. And whether you are a corporation who has no connection or you're a corporation who has some connection or some insight into neurodivergent employees, it, it actually doesn't matter because you'll still find a way to make that a trigger for ending a relationship or an employment. And that hurts. It's like, yep, we'll, we'll acknowledge you're autistic and you're different up until you're autistic, up until you're just too autistic in the workplace. I mean, you can be an autistic employee, but when you start actually, actually being and acting like an autistic, autistic employee, then you've gone too far. It's a bit confusing, huh? Seriously. All right. I want to talk about some actual suggestions. Some practical adjustments, inclusions, whatever you want to word them that you can ask for or as an employer you can implement today. All right, so let's discuss some reasonable adjustments. Inclusive practices. That's the other thing. Practices doesn't mean you do it once. Right? Inclusion is an ongoing action. Inclusion isn't like a statement or words on a page in a policy. Inclusion is an ongoing action. I hope that sinks in. It's not set and forget. Let's start by talking about the environment. Autistic people should not be pigeonholed. Autistic people do not just work in offices or factories because all they can do is put boxes together. What a load of rubbish. Now, if that's what they want to do, great. Autistic people can do just about anything and more than anyone else, depending on their wants, desires, passions, interests, where they are in life. Autistic people can be teachers, childcare workers, factory workers, construction workers, office workers, landscapers, gardeners, scientists, doctors, Surgeons, everything in between. So when we talk about the environment, 
we can get stuck in offices. So let's get that part out of the way and then we'll, we'll go on from there. Okay, so let's talk about office spaces first, right? There's noises, there's actions in offices, in the modern day open office spaces. Autistic people struggle in that scenario. It's pretty obvious. <laughs> Allocate spaces for neurodivergent employees that is in some way, you know, where practical, removed from that hustle and bustle and allow them to be permanently assigned there. None of this, you're moving rooms or offices or desks today. Because why? Because it's Wacky Wednesday desk day. No, no. Whether it's the controllables that can be controlled, they might be helpful. Can you control the controllables? Can you control the noise coming out of the speakers in the roof or the lighting in their area? Is there doors, windows, right? Blinds, curtains. Can, can you make this, the noise on the phone go lower or, or the lights not flash? Or, do you see what I'm saying? Allow them to control the controllables. Where needed, where required, where possible. You can't just tell an autistic employee, welcome on board, my friend. If it's a bit too much for you, grab your noise-canceling headphones, whack them on, and Bob's your uncle. Never even met Bob in my life. Who he is and why he's my uncle, but anyway. That is not going to cut it. So environmental adjustments for a neurodivergent employee is a whole-of-workplace mindset. It's a holistic approach. It's not just... Grab your noise-cancelling headphones and, I don't know, bring your special swervy chair and you'll be right. So you're telling, you're telling a person to bring their own ramp. I know, you, I know you use a wheelchair, my friend, so don't, don't forget tomorrow when you rock up to work, bring your ramp. Hey, and you can carry it to the toilet and the front door. Hey, no. How's this different? It's not. The environment can be very different for autistic people in many, in many different ways environmental conditions for employers. So some people like like different environments. They like the input. So it, the, again, it comes down, ask the neurodivergent employee, or if that's you, yes, I'm so sorry you have to do some work for yourself. Oh no. Shut up. Make a list of the things that stress you out or drive you nuts at your workplace and work out how they can be addressed, alleviated. Right? And present that to your boss. Next, let's talk about interaction and communication because, you know, as you can see, I'm the king of that. Yeah. <laughs> so, autistic people have significant challenges in social communication and interaction. It's core diagnostic stuff, guys. Okay? You cannot continue to be surprised when the autistic person in your life says something or communicates or interacts in a way that's not appropriate or right in your mind. Because they're not in your mind, they're in their mind. And you already know they're autistic. And you already know these are core challenges. Yet here we are again. You labelling them rude or wrong or blunt or arrogant or whatever when you know why this is happening. This always gets me. You have to allow neurodivergent employees the opportunity to understand their limits with regards to interactions and communications because you're thinking, well, hang on, that doesn't seem fair. What, they're not going to grow as a person? No, they are. But we're trying to maintain a duty of care to everyone too, right? Okay, so if they don't want to attend office gatherings, that's a win-win for everyone. 
It's a win-win for me because I don't want to be there. And it's a win-win for others who might find me if I'm disorientated, uh, dysregulated, I'm shut down, if I'm meltdown, don't feel uncomfortable or offended or worse, right? That's a win-win. Team meetings, even the pop-up little meetings, you know, the catch-ups or whatever you call them, the morning whips or I don't know. What, what Are you being punished or are you meeting in a room? What's happening? Who's, who's got the whip? That's my question. Can I get a go? Okay. You don't want to enforce this kind of social attendance. Does that make sense? So, like, you can say, hey, we have a meeting every Wednesday at 9 o'clock. It'd be great if you could be there. It's important. It's an important meeting. It's really, you know, and most people will go, yeah, okay, no, give it a crack, right? But enforcing it, this is the issue. So if it becomes, okay, this is not going to work for you, I can see. What we'll do, we'll set up a situation. You want to come to the meetings, come to the meetings. If you can't make it, you let me know. You email me, the boss, day before or the morning off. Say, look, I just don't think it's going to work for me today. I'll know and I'll be able to communicate that. And then we can provide you with, you know, like a, a, a minutes, like a little summary of what was spoken about and then you're caught up. It's a small, this is, and this costs absolutely nothing. It's such a small thing. All right. It's really important to, to try to keep the autistic person in the loop. Inform them. In a way, warn them of these kind of pop-up scenarios, these last-minute changes now in the office or out of the office, whether you don't work in an office. There's always going to be pop-up things or last-minute changes or scenario changes. Like, that's going to happen regardless of where you work. So knowing that as an employer and conveying that to an autistic neurodivergent employee with, a, with notice is worth its weight in gold. It's processing time, guys. It comes down to processing time. Don't forget processing time doesn't get better with age. It might get worse if you're more stressed with life. So if you have an autistic kid and you ask him a question and they don't answer and you're peppering them with the same question over and over and over and you never get an answer, then all I can say is that's, that's you. Like I might ask my autistic son a question. Honestly and truly, I may give him two to five minutes without asking it again and he may answer me. It might even be out of context when he finally answers me. Because I've realized that it's hard to process. And it's even harder to process things when you're being peppered or pressured. This is no different. Processing time to changes and scenarios and different things at work will really, really help the autistic employee be far more productive and far more happy. And that's a win-win. So changes in routine, these types of things, if you give them enough time, to prepare for these unplanned disruptions to routines and plans, it'll be a win-win. I'd like to talk about my favourite subject in the history of neurodivergent employment. Ladies and gentlemen, let's talk about professionalism. Let's talk about acting in a professional manner. And here's what we can say about it. It's a fallacy. It doesn't exist. Made up. It's a made up term. Zero real meaning. Now you can say that's not right, Orion. I can look it up in the dictionary. Good for you. I'm talking about in reality though. What does it actually mean? How you can define it, but how do you define it in practice? And well then the words you're using to define it in practice aren't that. They're those words. And those words you you can be respectful. You can be kind. You can be those things and be autistic. 
without having to be what you class as professional. And again, to be respectful and kind, that's subjective, not objective. And if you have two different brains, you're viewing it through a neurotypical lens. Say, if I tell the truth, I'm rude and blunt to you, if you're neurotypical. If I tell the truth, I'm respectful and kind. Seriously. So professionalism, I think, not only is a made-up thing for HR, basically just to control behaviour of employees, like we're in school, for God's sakes. And by the way, like, where's the HR department for real life? You could say, well, that's policing and enforcement. No, 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 no. Like, there has to be laws broken. Seriously. Police, there's not enough resources for police and enforcement to take care of major crimes, let alone minor crimes. These guys, like, honestly, they're, they're pumped. So... There is no HR for real life. You just, oh my God, Ryan said something that offended me while we were having lunch. I'm, I'm going to put a complaint in with HR for bullying and harassment. What do you mean a complaint in with HR? It's Saturday and we're having lunch at a cafe. What are you talking about? You live in the real world. It's ridiculous. So HR have this professionalism, this profession. You must behave in a professional manner. And if you don't, we'll come down from our HR ivory tower and we'll slap you. We'll HR slap you and you get... You get three slaps, three strikes, and you're out. Great. Fantastic. But see, the values that they're trying to replicate, they're legitimate. But again, employers have to take the initiative. And you know what? This is not like a YouTube video. This is a lot more loose and personal and me just riffing because this isn't just a standard YouTube video on my primary YouTube channel. This is a podcast. And I want my podcasts to be free and open and flowing and ranty and riffing and just because I think people, there's a difference. You don't want to come to two different channels and see the same thing. So I hope, you, I hope you're okay with me just going off on tangents here and just sharing things. I figure that's why you're listening to or watching a podcast because you dig that type stuff. So I will carry on <laughs> until you tell me to stop. Okay, so I'm a neurodivergent employee. I've signed an employment contract, you know, as per HR. Act in a professional manner, right? Okay, cool. I act autistic, so I'm not breaking any rules. I'm not, like, harassing someone or bullying something. Okay, but then I'm being warned for not acting professionally when I was acting autistic. Now, when I say acting autistic, I don't mean I'm pretending to be autistic. I mean, I'm an autistic employee, but just do your best. Try and be neurotypical. While you're in the office... I just need you to be neurotypical. Well, I'm autistic. I haven't got a neurotypical brain. I, I, like that's like me telling you to act like you're autistic with it. Like it, it's not possible. We don't. Have, how can I do that? How can I get in your brain when I have an actually a different brain? It's not possible. That's what I'm asked to do. So when I don't do it, so like I said, when I'm too autistic, maybe it's the way I interact or communicate. Again. What, I don't need to provide examples. So you, you've seen enough of my videos to know the way I interact and communicate. I like to be open, honest, upfront, straight, direct. I like to use humor. I like to engage, confront issues head on. Right, that's my personality as an autistic person. Now, if I communicate like that in an office... Presumably, people are going to find that confronting. Of course, I don't know. See, it's not like I can pick and choose. People go, hang on. If you're aware of all this stuff, if you can write it down and do a podcast about it, why can't you not do it in real life? That is the most ridiculous statement. People say this all the time. Oh, hang on. If you know you have this, oh, why, oh, why? I'm, that, 
seriously? Do, do you understand the difference between being able to create notes and words and opinions and thoughts and experiences from past experiences and being in the moment as an autistic person with an autistic brain that has those challenges that don't wear off, that can get worse with stresses of life and just avert them because you've done a video on it. If you think I'm like some sort of guru that not only can provide you with information, but you know, knows all the answers and, and is, can just put it into practice, you're crazy. You're crazy. I'm doing the best to help you guys and teach people stuff. But that's as far as it goes. Like, my, my life is a struggle on a minute-by-minute minute basis. So no. Then if that's the case, that means no one ever in the history of the world has ever made the same mistake twice. But hang on, you're aware of it. You've done it before. Why can't you not do it now? Because I'm human? <laughs> Seriously. So with professionalism, we need to talk about flexibility. Autistic people require flexibility. Because, and you'd say, well, why, Ryan? Okay, well, so professionalism isn't just about behavior, right? It's about how you look. It could be about your facial hair, makeup, your hair length, hair style, your clothing, your shoes. I mean, it could be anything. The equipment you bring, it could be anything, right? Okay, and I get that. But how bloody superficial is some of this stuff? There's appropriate things. I get it. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's appropriate ways to look and dress and act in a workplace, like a, a construction worker, like let's say a chippy. A builder's not going to bring his three-year-old's plastic tools to work to build a house. I get that, right? But what, what I'm saying is there has to be some sort of flexibility. What you wear to work, again, there's, there's standards, but they don't have to be so rigid. You need to provide flexibility in the types of things people can wear to work. Flexibility in how the employee that is autistic in your workplace can proactively avoid stimulation or overstimulation or understimulation. How they can mitigate being overwhelmed sensorily, you know, shutdowns, meltdowns. And when we feel comfortable and at ease, what do you think happens? If an autistic person feels more comfortable and more at ease at work, what do you think happens? Yeah, they're more productive. That's a win-win. HR policies for neurodivergent people. Go ahead and grab yours for me and read them to me. I'd love to hear them. If you're an employer in an organization, and you know, look, if you're like a small business or you buy, you know, sole trader, that's tricky. I get it. I'm talking about, you know, if you're an organization, a company, whatever, go ahead and show them to me. Because I'm telling you, whatever you got, and I don't believe you got a thing. I don't believe you have a single neurodivergent HR policy with regards to how they behave. I don't, believe it, I don't believe it's there. If it is there though, I'd love to read it. I bet it's like gobbledygooks, words going around in circles. And this is the problem. So we have a HR department on professionalism for, for employees based on one standard, a neurotypical brain. Yet we're saying autistic people are underemployed, which means they can't even get a job interview, let alone a job. And when they get a job, it's not full-time usually, or they can't keep it. And then with that, with knowing that, we're not even trying to create an environment that's, forget about like good, just equal. Where's the equity? There's no equity. So, so 
physical disabilities, it's almost kind of like a given. If you went to a workplace or a building or a uni, you know, I reckon these days it's just a given there's going to be ramps, right? There's going to be, I don't know, hearing loops and different things. So there bloody should be. So there should be. Absolutely. What I'm saying is, okay, great. I have a neurological developmental disability. So it's hidden in a way where it's my brain, which I don't think is hidden. Without your brain, you're dead. So your brain's pretty bloody visible. Anyway, where's mine? The mind ramps don't exist. They don't. They don't. And this is where it becomes problematic. You just want a job, mate. You just want a job you like. You just want to do your best and feel like you're contributing to society. You're making money. You're supporting yourself or your family. You've got self-esteem and confidence, purpose, reason to get up. You just want that. You just want a chance. You just want a chance. Equal to anyone else's. This is no different to the struggle I have with my son in school. I just want him to have the same chance to go to school that every other neurotypical kid has. He doesn't. He doesn't. It's a daily battle. It's a daily battle just to get him even remotely close to what other kids just get. Why you wonder why we're always tired? It's a war zone. So HR policies for neurodivergent people. This this isn't complicated. It's about just acknowledge core, like number one in a diagnostic criteria is significant social and communication and interaction challenges. Interaction challenges, right? That's just part of being an autistic person. So how does that manifest into them behaving in a professional manner? And how can we help others understand that? So we can mask, we can be neurotypical for as long as it's possible, but it won't last forever. And that will result in more burnout, more meltdowns, more shutdowns, and less productivity. So you can force us to be neurotypical for as long as we can, but it'll, it will significantly decrease productivity and also it will create other issues because more employees god forbid will have to be exposed to an autistic person being autistic oh no oh no (laughs) interactions and communication there are differences for autistic people that's the core of a diagnosis professionalism says there is only one way for everything in the workplace HR defines professionalism as one way. There's one way that you can be professional. You can act in a professional manner. It's this way or the highway. So who's being unprofessional now? Autistic employee or HR? It sounds pretty bloody unprofessional to be so outwardly discriminatory to say that an autistic person must act like a neurotypical person would to be professional. And if they don't, they get fired for being autistic, not for being unprofessional or breaking the law. That's a whole, if you've got an autistic employee that is like actually breaching standards that aren't in response to being an autistic person, that's a whole different thing. I can't give you examples of that, but I'm not state, I'm not saying we're above the law, right? No, that's not right. What, what I'm saying is, it's HR here that's actually being unprofessional. We have to do better than this. This isn't like the 60s. This isn't the 1960s, guys. Seriously. I'm so sick of hearing HR departments and you know managers get up at conferences and 
talk about these amazing neurodivergent stuff they're doing. What a load of shit. Honestly, it just makes me angry. What? Then show me the autistic employees that you currently have by numbers that are thriving, that are doing well. Who have you got? And show me in words what you actually have as a policy to define what professionalism is to them. It's a massive issue. It's got to be fixed. It really gets me going, this one. And I know it becomes repetitive. But I really want you to understand the importance of this. Really, modern-day HR is basically, I mean, it's a legal thing, but it's basically comes down to how you should behave, how you should act as an employee, right? To protect the employer. Fair enough. Get that. There's a duty of care. But see, it's funny how when there's a duty of care, it's always used as there's a duty of care to protect my neurotypical students or employees or whatever. The duty of care never is there to help the autistic person. Don't, don't you find that funny? It's true. Well, look, you know, I know you're, I know you're an autistic kid. Sometimes you have a meltdown because of the 700 triggers we didn't realise and mitigate and help. And now he's scared a child. I have a duty of care to that child. He's scared. What about a duty of care to my kid? You didn't mitigate anything and got him to a place that he can't be reached. He doesn't even know he's scaring a child. He's having a meltdown. Where's the duty of care there? This is, it does, it, this is a problem. It starts in school and it goes right through employment until you're dead, mate. Until you're dead. Which as an autistic person is, I don't know, probably 30 years earlier than most other people. For many different reasons. We've got to do better. We've got to do better. And it's simple. If you need me to talk about it, let me know. We've got to do better. You need, we need to redefine how an autistic person can perform in a workplace in a professional manner based on how autistic people interact and communicate and go about their daily business. And last thing I'll say on this is it's not about things. It's about people. It's about workplace adjustments to people. Your other employees need to understand that, say me, a rhino, an autistic employee, is autistic, for starters, and here's the differences, and here's how they may communicate, interact, work, and we want you to be aware of those and understand why that's the case. They're autistic, and here's why, okay, and, and this is going to happen. And from that level of understanding you've taken the time to, to provide to your employees, they now can understand it and appreciate it more, which might even lead to acceptance and a higher productivity for everyone because everyone's on the same page. It's about adjustments to people, not things. And that flows on to the last one, education. You have to empower your staff with working knowledge. They need to understand and appreciate their neurodivergent workmates. If your staff work with autistic people or neurodivergent people and they don't even know there's a diagnosis, let alone anything about how that interacts and manifests, you're in a big world of hurt. I mean, seriously, it's, I think it's negligent. Now, I know some employees might go, I don't want them to know. And this is the problem here. You can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't say the workplaces are discriminatory and horrible and I can't keep a job, but I don't want to tell anyone when I get a job. So disclosure is a big issue. I wouldn't be disclosing until I legitimately and fully fledged had a proper job. I mean, I'm talking like post probation period. It's none of their bloody business. You can't ask someone if they're pregnant or whatever. It's none of their bloody business. You've got your job on your merits. Once you've got your job and you've proven you're the right person, then you can start to ask for adjustments based on your legal requirements and needs. So understanding and appreciating autistic people is just should just be par for the course. 
How will this be carried out? How will you do this? Oh, it's going to cost money, or right? I'm going to come up with online things. Big gatherings. No, you're not. No, you're not. Seriously. This can be done one-on-one. You can ask the actual neurodivergent person if they wanted to, to have a little chat, like, a, like you know, at a team meet. Explain a bit about themselves, share a bit about themselves. They could make an email, a video. Do you know what I mean? There's so many different ways. You don't, you don't, by the way, you don't want it to kind of blend in. It should be something that people can actually absorb. Because when employers and employees buy in, I think that's when the magic happens. But what's important is forget about the employees for a second. When the employer buys in, the employer, right? When they buy in, staff tend to follow. When the employer like sincerely buys in and wants to empower neurodivergent employers, employees in the workplace, provide them with things they need, helping people, adjustments and staff buy in. They go, I, I like this. This is, this is a really cool place to work. Yeah, everyone's looked after, everyone's cared for. Staff buy in. Everyone gets on board. See, this is what I'm talking about. This is the core and the key nub of this. Employment for autistic people can be improved virtually overnight by you by other people, by neurotypical people, by employees and employers. Buying into the person and buying into how they can adjust themselves, not the things around them. And it's not a, it's, it's not a, a task or a chore. We're just asking you to get to know people, why they're different. Orion's not trying to offend you. Like he's just, this is how he interacts. He can come across a bit blunt or rude or too honest. This is just how he talks. He's an autistic person. He's not trying to offend you. He's, he speaks like this to everyone. And this is him trying his best to not offend you, by the way. Like if, if, if I had a staff member who knew me like that and was able to actually articulate that, it just makes, it, I bet it makes them feel good because they understand so much. It makes me feel good. This is where it's a win-win. It's actually not expensive. It's just about a little bit of compassion and a little bit of teamwork. God forbid there be teamwork in the workplace. <laughs> My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. Catch up on all the episodes at orionkelly.com.au. Well, I need to take a sleep. <laughs> a large breath and a break. Thank you so much for watching this video podcast or listening to it wherever you get your podcasts. I really do appreciate it. I'd love it if you'd take the time to you know, say hey. You can comment on the YouTube channel. Send me an email via the website. It's great to hear what you think of this particular podcast, some of the ideas. Share it with your family and friends so we can reach more employers. That'd be amazing too. Either way, I'm so grateful for your incredible support. Without you, my mission to you know, improve the lives of autistic people would be impossible. You're making it possible. So thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Until my next video podcast, thank you for watching and listening. And we'll catch up soon. You've been listening to My Friend Autism with Orion Kelly. To join the conversation, get in touch with Orion and binge all the podcasts, blogs and videos, visit orionkelly.com.au.